Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Did you know 80% of a baby's brain is fully developed by the age of three? What a milestone to achieve in such a short amount of time. So naturally, all us parents want to know, how do we support our children at the most critical stages of their brain development? Neurosurgeon and founder of Cerebelli, Dr. Teresa Persner, wondered this too. It was when she had her first child that she discovered there was no baby food on the market that had the nutrition she knew through her PhD work that impacted babies' brain development. And so Cerebelli was born, the only organic purees that provide 16 key brain-supporting nutrients. So as your baby explores their Veggie First Clean Label Project certified flavors, so as your baby explores their Veggie First Clean Label Project certified flavors, you can feel confident that the airplane of food is coming in with no added sugar and spoonfuls of nutrients you can only find in Cerebelli. Parenting is an act. Cerebelli is science. And today's listeners can get up to 35% off your first order of Cerebelli with code JUSTINGREDIENTS plus an additional 15% off when you subscribe and save. Dr. Teresa Persner is a mother of three, practicing neurosurgeon, developmental neurologist, and the co-founder of Cerebelli. While studying at Stanford, Persner led the development of a new treatment for the most common type of infant brain cancer, which is currently in human clinical trial and through this, found that various regions of the brain grow and peak at different times each having their own nutrient needs to give children the best possible start in life. In 2019, Persner developed Cerebelli, which is the first and only baby food brand on the market that combines up-to-date early childhood nutrition with developmental neuroscience to provide veggie-first, science-backed food with brain-supporting superior ingredients. Persner ensures that Cerebelli employs robust processes to ensure the highest possible quality for all of its products and is the first ever shelf-stable children's food brand to receive the Clean Label Project Purity Award, an honor only bestowed after products are tested for over 400 contaminants and heavy metals and meet the organization's highest standard. In addition to Persner's medical accolades, she has been recognized as BioX and SIGF Fellow, as well as a Spark Scholar. Thank you, Dr. Persner, for being here today. I have not had someone who talks about brain development and baby development on my show yet, so I'm really excited to have you here today. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. Well, thank you. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe how you came about starting your company? Oh, sure. Yeah. So so my background is, is neurosurgery. Um, that was sort of a path I'd always been heading towards. And it's a job I've really enjoyed. Um, it's extremely rewarding and day to day, you make a lot of big differences in people's lives. Um, and I never really thought of doing much other than neurosurgery. And I had this sort of very uh, unexpected deviation in my course, I guess, when I was on the pediatric wards as a resident. Um, so pediatric brain tumors are something I've always been very interested in. From a biological perspective, they're interesting because they reflect a normal part of the brain growing as it should and normal development. And instead of stopping, it just keeps growing and you get a tumor. So that's very different from, from adult tumors. Um, but when I was actually on the pediatric wards, I had this very human experience, which is just the terribleness of, of the disease itself. And, 
and sort of the terrible experience that patients and their families go through after diagnosis. And so um, it, it was well there that I realized there was a, a huge gap between the science that we had discovered over the last 10 years, this developmental origin of pediatric brain tumors, and the therapies that we were providing. We were just providing the same non-targeted chemotherapies that we give for you know, all types of cancer. And so that's how I ended up leaving neurosurgery and heading down to, to Stanford to study early brain development specifically with the interest of considering it in the context of pediatric brain tumors. So very long story short, <laughs> a very long PhD story short, um, I ended up making a, a pretty cool discovery and was able to develop a, a new drug for pediatric brain cancer that, that went on through clinical trials at St. Jude. So it was, it was a really amazing experience. And, and as I was going through it all, I had my own kids. Um, and I think a, a lot of parents experience this moment when you have your own kids and suddenly your interests get redirected a bit. And, and for me, one of the redirections was the idea of brain development, not only in the context of pathology, but just normal brain development. You know, how, how is my kid's brain developing and, and how do I best support it in those early stages? Um, and so there, there's really basically three, three things that, that impact early brain development. It's the genetics of so the parents, the environment and, and the food. And um, of the three, it seemed like nutrition had been something that had been really neglected. Um, it's something that as a society, we, were, we, don't, we don't really think about in the context of early brain development. Um, so I started reading about it a, a whole bunch um, really deeply. And I, I realized there was this tremendous amount of really good science behind nutrition and early brain development, this fundamental basic neuroscience. Um, and so I tried to translate that science to my kid's diet. And the first way I tried to do that, so I did identified really 16 nutrients that seemed to be key. And because I was so busy, I thought, okay, I'll just go to the, to the grocery store and I'll find baby food pouches that have these 16 nutrients and make sure that they're getting them when they need them. Um, but what I found at the grocery store was that not only did they not have the 16, they only had one or two and oh, not wow. one or two per pouch, just one or two between all the pouches. I flipped over, you know, dozens and dozens of pouches looking at the nutritional panel in the back, and I just could not find the nutrients I needed. And so um, that's how I started cooking for myself and for my kids, <laughs> making sure they got what they needed. Um, and ultimately, my, my brother, who, who's, um, who had kids around the same time, said, you know, you have to make this more available to people beyond just our family. And that's sort of how Cerebelli came to be. It's really taking that, that knowledge I found from my own kids and, and making it more accessible to, to children everywhere. Okay, so do you do Cerebelli full-time now? And are you a neurosurgeon practicing still or no? It's a good question. So I'm a full-time neurosurgeon. I'm a neurosurgeon scientist. So I, I have a job that's a really privileged position where I do 50% of a neurosurgical practice and then half my time is on uh, clinical research, which is still early brain development and cancer. Um, so Cerebelli, I was lucky enough to recruit an amazing team. We have a superb CEO. We have just such talented people that have come on board. Um, and so I'm still very much involved in, in creating the products, you know, making sure the products meet the standards that we need, um, you know, spreading the word. But, but my day-to-day -day is still neurosurgery for the most part. <laughs> okay, good to know. Okay, so did you know about how nutrients affect the brain or was this something you researched because you had kids and had a new passion for this? Yeah, I, I had no idea. And so people always come up to me and say, oh, I didn't realize nutrition is important for the brain. And I, I you know, beyond the obvious. And, and I say, yeah, you know what? I had a PhD in developmental neurobiology from Stanford, and I didn't realize how important nutrition was for the brain. And so e even when I started reading about it for my kids specifically, um, it was kind of, I, I thought it would sort of get this soft science coming back, but, you know, maybe this is good, maybe that's bad. But, but what I ended up finding was really serious basic quantitative neuroscience showing 
the important role of specific nutrients in specific parts of the brain. And honestly, I found it, it, it was a little scary and alarming because I thought, you know, uh oh, <laughs> my kid's already, you know, four or five months old. I really got to get on top of this. And when I'm, you know, he's getting his first foods. It needs to be the right one. So um, it, it created a tremendous sense of responsibility on, on my shoulders. But yeah, I, I had, I had no idea. And that's after, you know, a, a lifetime of studying the brain and how it develops. Wow, that is fascinating. Well, I'm glad you took the time to research it and find out about these nutrients. So I am so <laughs> curious to know about those nutrients. But first, I want to start just at the basics for our listeners. So a lot of new moms listen to this show, a lot of them just trying to figure out, you know, what is best for their baby. So when we talk about brain development, what exactly is happening in the brain? What are we meaning by this brain development? That's a, that's a really good question because it's a simple sounding word, but it's a really complex process. So many different things happen. Um, one of the things that's really unique early in life is that your brain is actually growing. So it's making new cells. It's growing different regions at different times. And, and that happens for really about the first three years, a little bit out up to five years. And then whatever you make in those three years, whatever cells or neurons you make during those three to five years, um, the rest of your life is spent making connections between those cells. And that's how you learn. And that's how you remember things. Um, but in terms of often when people think of brain development, they think of more of that growth phase rather than just the connection forming phase, which is the rest of your life. But technically, they're, they're both still development. <laughs> okay. So that's a little stressful for new moms. I'm thinking, wow, did I mess up my kids? Because I didn't know a lot about health when I had little babies. So is it reversible? Like, yeah. <laughs> have, have moms messed up the creation of these neurons? I, I really hate the idea of stressing out people because I think all moms are doing, you know, the very best they can. And there's, you know, there's different things that support early brain growth. But the, the truth is the brain is pretty different from the rest of your body in the sense that if you break a bone later in life, it heals. If you cut your skin, the skin heals. So most of the cells of your body regenerate for your entire life, sometimes over hours, sometimes days, sometimes months, but even your heart regenerates to a degree. Your brain cells for the great majority, with a small exception of a few places, um, they, they do not grow again. And that's why when you have a stroke, you can't regrow that brain. Whereas if you injure yourself, you can regenerate your muscle or what have you. Um, and so it kind of is what, what you get in those first three to five years, that that is what you get. That's what you get, what you get to work with for the rest of your life. And that's sort of that deep responsibility, that feeling that I really want to make sure I make the most of that window. That really is what made someone like me, who's just so busy trying to fight cancer and, and do brain surgery. Um, it, it is what made me actually take the time to wake up early to make the right foods for my kids. So it was sort of that deep sense of responsibility that, that drove me to, to make cerebelli. But yeah, it, it is a, it's a very unique thing. It's your brain, some of your eye cells, and then uh, a woman's eggs. Those are the three cells that don't grow back again. <laughs> That is so interesting. Okay, so is the brain considered fully developed then at age five? I have a hard time saying it's ever fully developed because there is some amount of growth that continues the rest of your life, certainly well into your teens and your early 20s. There's still some amount of growth that's happening. Um, and also the connections are so pivotal, you know, and how, how you make the most of the cells that you have is it, it's so pivotal. That's the difference between what you know today versus what you knew when you were 15 years old. It's just the different connections you form. So I think there's an entire lifetime of opportunity to continue enriching and, and helping and supporting your brain. Um, but the first five years are kind of a little more unique in, in the amount of growth that's happening. Okay. So I'm curious to know if this is the prime time, this zero to let's say five 
of when these uh, cells are being created. How is the best way to support this then? Getting those 16 nutrients the best way? Yeah, there, there's there's a bunch of different things. So so again, there's there's three main main determinants on how well it goes, and, and one is just the parents. So, so you can't do anything about that. And then there's meiosis, but I won't go into the biology. Um, and then the second is the environment and nutrition. So in both of those realms, you have a lot of control. I actually think nutrition in some ways is the easier one because you have these 16 nutrients. You just make sure the kids getting them at the right amounts for you know as long as they need. Um, so yeah, that's why I, for me, cerebelli is so nice. I just make sure that my kids are getting the pouches and I know, okay, nutrition is now covered. Then the environment's a whole other thing. It's, you know, speaking to your kids the right way, giving them the right toys, interacting with them, giving them the opportunity sometimes to be bored and figure things out on their own. So that's an entire huge field of early development, um, that the parent has a lot of control of, and it's kind of a, a constant work in progress. That's actually really interesting about how you speak to them and what toys they're playing with. I know all of that plays a big role. I know my listeners are going to be like, what are those 16 nutrients I'm looking for? Can you list those for us? Yeah, sure. Okay. So here, here we go. Um, so protein of course is important, but uh, iron, uh, lutein, vitamin A, iodine, zinc, folate, copper, vitamin D, vitamin B3, DHA, selenium, vitamin E, choline, vitamin B6. So I think one thing to remember though, is that a lot of these nutrients, your kid is not going to be deficient in. So a lot of things where, you know, the, the average North American diet, you're safe. And so um, you can start focusing in on a subset of nutrients. The ones that I think are, are highest yield are things that a North American child is more commonly deficient in. So things like iron and vitamin D, a lot of us give vitamin D supplements to our children when they're very young, um, specifically really for brain development. Um, selenium. So if you go to the cerebelli site, we actually go through it in a pretty granular way where here's the 16th, but here's what you need in each month. And here's the ones that your child's likely to be deficient in. So do they need certain nutrients at different stages of the brain development, or those are just all good for all stages? Yeah, I think the easiest way, if you can get all 16 all the time, that's the easiest way, but it, it actually is very specific. So the brain doesn't grow all at the same time. There's specific regions that grow at specific points. And as a parent, you actually know this, right? Because the kid doesn't learn to walk and talk and smile all at the same time, right? First, they learn to sit, then they learn to use their pinchers a little bit, then they get first words. And those different milestones are just a reflection of different parts of the brain growing at that period of their life. Um, and so each region of the brain is actually very unique. If you look at the proteins in one part of the brain versus another, they're as different as if you compared one part of the brain to your liver or what have you. Um, so each of these regions are very unique and each of them have very unique nutritional requirements. And so month by month, depending on, you know, there, there a lot of kids have basically the, the same parts growing at the same time, but as we know, different kids have hit milestones at different times. Um, so depending on your specific child's milestones and their age, if you wanted to get really granular, there are specific nutrients that are most important for that period of the time. That's fascinating. I actually didn't realize that. <laughs> Um, on the Cerebelli website, do you go over those different stages? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think if you just put the kid's name and their, their milestones, they can show you which nutrients are important. And similarly, if you just want to go month by month, it'll say, okay, these are the regions that are growing. These are the nutrients that are important. And these are some ingredient sources, some whole food sources that you can use to best accommodate those regions. Wow. That is really fascinating. <laughs> I'm going to just go search on your website just for fun to just see. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew that when I had little babies. 
Yeah, it's, well, it's hard to get everything all the time if you're not going through cerebelli. If you're trying to do it yourself, which is what I was doing, right? I, I didn't have cerebelli for my first kid. I was actually making everything through Whole Foods and going to specialty stores and stewing blueberries and getting sesame, you know, sunflower seed oil and stuff like that. Um, so when you're actually making it from Whole Foods, it's really hard to get all of them all the time. And so that's why I had to focus in on the ones that were most important for that month. Okay, so let's actually talk about making your own food. So people ask me this all the time, so I'm curious on the, your opinion on this. When people go to the store and buy like sweet potatoes for their kids, is it important to buy organic? The better the product you can get with, within your own financial means, you know, it, it's, it's fine. It's a pro. But I think a lot of focus, especially recently, has been more on what's not in your food. So organic, non-GMO. And I think we've lost a little bit of sight on what's in the food. So what are the nutrients that you need? And a sweet potato is a really nutrient dense food. It's also unfortunately a food that's more commonly high in heavy metals, um, but it's so nutritionally important. There's actually been big discussions, international discussions between nutritionists about whether or not you should eat sweet potatoes because they have lead in them, right? And, and the, the consensus is that you should because they're so nutritionally dense. And so I think if, if I were to give one recommendation, it's don't, don't forget about the nutrition within the food. Don't just think about what's not in it. Think about what's in it. And if you want to get a bunch of different nutrition in a fairly easy way, I mean, this is a huge generalization, but it's a rule that I actually use. If you use really dense colored vegetables and they have different colors, so dark leafy greens, a sweet potato, cauliflower, so, so different, different vegetables of different color, and you use a lot of them in combinations all the time, it's a way of getting a lot of different nutrients and avoiding any kind of toxin that's unique to one type of nutrient, or sorry, one type of food. Well, that's good advice. Talking about lead and heavy metals, that's been a big conflict in the media for baby foods. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I mean, this is something that's always kind of irked me a bit, and I hope I don't get myself in trouble. But I think that it's been known for a long time that there's been heavy metal in baby food. I think there's been a report almost every 10 years, a new report comes out showing that this is real. The science behind heavy metals is not ambiguous. There's a lot of ambiguous nutritional science, but lead is bad for your brain, especially when you're young. I don't think anyone who's scientific would debate that. Um, and, and so we've known it and it's been kind of ignored. <laughs> and so, and so that's something from cerebelli from day one, I wanted to get right. I said, you know, we know this is a problem. If we're going to use sweet potatoes, we have to screen those sweet potatoes for lead levels. And we only give out the baby food if it passes our really rigorous levels of screening. So we screen at the ingredient, we screen after we mix it. And then we screen the final product before it gets to, to the shelves for heavy metals. And I think that it's possible we did it. It is it is more expensive to do it that way. But to me, it's it's a no starter. Like, what's the point of getting all this perfect nutrition if you then load it up with lead, right? And so I think I think new standards need to be made. They're working on it. We, we've spoken actually to a few people about it who are you know a, a senator who's quite involved with it, um, trying to raise the standard for baby food. Um, the one caveat that I'll give is that it, if you're making baby food yourself, you're not getting away from the heavy metal issue. So it's the sweet potato itself that have, has heavy metals and it's from the soil that it was grown in. So whether you're getting your sweet potato in a pureed baby food or getting a sweet potato from the grocery store, the lead is there either way. Um, and so it, it's a problem with planet Earth <laughs> and, and, with, and with our farms and vegetables. It's not necessarily just a pureed baby food problem, but it's one that when you're making large scale food like we are, we can actually screen for. Wow. So 
these moms that are like, oh, I make my own baby food. That way I know what's in it. And that way I know it's better may not necessarily be the case. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to really encourage people to make their own baby food. I, th- I think it's really good. I think there's a, there's a huge social component to making food together with your family, eating it together, experiencing dinner time. I think there's so many really important things that happen there, but in terms of the, the nutrition and the safety of the food itself, a sweet potato is a sweet potato, whether it's at the grocery store or in your baby food. And so it, it, you don't get away from that problem by doing it yourself. So can you tell my listeners why lead is bad for the brain? Yeah, it's it's unfortunately it's bad on many levels. So there's certain nutrients where if you, if you lack that nutrient, a very specific region of the brain doesn't grow correctly with lead. It's the entire brain. That's really, it's more of a global process. And so you're not just losing one part. You're, you're sort of hindering the entire development of the brain. So it's, unfortunately it has more widespread effects than say uh, one specific nutrient that you're missing. Okay. Talking about lead being and baby food, can we hold these companies to a higher standard? I know you said we're trying to work on it, but if we can't hold them to a higher standard ourselves, is there something to look for on the labels? We're stuck in this, I feel like. I think we are stuck. I think it's a huge deficiency in policy. And again, they are working on it. So I think for the first time ever, maybe we, we might be making ground in terms of creating policy where people have to report the amount of lead. But right now they don't, (laughs) they don't have to report it. There's nothing on the label that says whether they checked for it or not. Um, One thing you can look for is the clean label certification. And so that we were the first shelf stable baby food to get the clean label award. And what the clean label is basically, it's it's a nonprofit organization. It's a third party. They have no financial benefit to you getting something or not. Um, And they just test, they take products just out of random grocery stores. They just take your product and they test it for, you know, hundreds of contaminants. And if you meet their standards and you're one of the best in your field, then you get this clean label award. And so uh, it's a purity award or something. But so if if you look for that clean label purity award, that is maybe the the only way right now that you can see whether or not things like toxins and heavy metals were important to the company and screened for by the company and screened for by someone other than the company. Um, But that's something that companies just decide to do. You decide to put yourself through that process. You decide to put yourself you know, under someone else's microscope. (laughs) Um, And so there's no policy forcing companies to do that. Um, But if you see that award, then it means that the company elected to do that because they thought it was the right thing to do and they they passed the test. That's good to know. But is that shown on the labels of baby food or you just have to look on the website to see? No, so it's actually on the pouch. Our pouch has a little circle where you see um, organic and non-GMO. There's a little pouch that says clean label purity award. Um, and so it's just us. Maybe there's one other baby food brand right now that that has that shelf stable. So, but but just look for it. It's, it's usually they'll have it in the corner where you see all the other non-GMO things or USDA or what have you. So good to know. Okay. All new moms be looking for that label. If some kids are lacking these 16 nutrients you talked about, some of their brain may not develop properly or is that not true? So I I don't want to, I don't want to scare people because the science can sound scary, right? And so if if you look at the studies, the studies that I looked at, um, what they would do is they would, there's many different types of studies. Some studies, they would uh, feed a mother mouse uh, a diet that lacks a specific nutrient. And you can see how the animals grow up. Other times, there's some studies that are unfortunate human studies where uh, one time one of the B vitamins was missed in a formula. And then you could see the consequences to the child, which were very severe from missing that one vitamin because they were formula fed children. Um, you can look at um, towns that uh, there, there was a South American trial where they gave one town uh, 
um, just a, a drink and another town, the same drink, but it was nutri that was nutritionally enhanced. And you can follow them. And, and in that case, they, you know, they had better IQs, they had better learning, they had better jobs, better income long-term. And so there's many different ways, but, but yeah, in general, especially if you're profoundly deficient in one nutrient, then there usually is a specific region or one or two regions that end up, um, you know, suffering from that. You know, that, that being said, it's important that we think of things as a whole, that we have a more holistic view on things. Um, it's unlikely that a North American child is gonna have 0% of one nutrient, they're just gonna be deficient. So it's not as if that brain's gonna be missing a part. It just maybe didn't meet the potential that it could have met had they had all the nutrients they required. So I think of it the same way. If you never read your kid a book ever, and you never show them letters ever, and you don't speak to them, then they're going to have really profound verbal deficiencies, right? So that's the environment that you that you've now you've taken the one thing away from the environment. But you know, if you're reading the kid a book sometimes, and you know you're interacting with them, they'll generally do okay. If you're really intensely reading to them, and you're making sure that they're getting on their alphabets, you know, right at the right time then maybe they learn things a little bit quicker. But, but, you know, at the end of the day, maybe all these kids end up in the same place other than the one that was severely deficient. So I think it's important to just think of things as a whole um, and, and not get too, too scared by, by any one part of the puzzle. <laughs> right. And I do not want to scare new moms by any means. I just think... <laughs> I don't like fear at all, but I do think that there is power in educating. And so as long as 100%. we're aware and like, oh, okay, different regions of the brain need different nutrients and I should yeah. make sure I, my kids get a fully balanced, you know, meals throughout the day. And if we're deficient in something, it could affect the brain. That's all it is, yeah. is educating yeah. people rather than exactly. fearing them into anything. It is a lost opportunity. And I, and I will say when I think again of what motivated me to take time from my insane schedule to make the right food, it was fundamentally fear that my kids would lose out on that opportunity. And so it was sort of that feeling that drove me to, to do everything that I've done and, and that drove me to, to make sure other kids didn't have to lose out as well. <laughs> I love that. And it, sometimes it is having our own kids that, you know, gives us that drive to educate ourselves on all of this. So <laughs> thank you. Okay. So let's talk about baby food again at the stores. There's a lot of labels out there. There's the farm fresh, there's the organic, there's, you know, non-GMO, there's all these different things. Are there specific labels that new moms should be looking for or not necessarily just looking for a range of nutrients, like you said? I think the one label that I always look at first is the nutritional panel. Okay. <laughs> so I flip them around and I look at, I look at the nutritional panel and I, and I look for numbers that are double digit. Um, you're not always going to get, you know, we try to get 30 to 50%, but if you're, if you get solid double digits in a couple of nutrients, then you're already doing pretty well. Um, vitamin A, you always get in excess. Your kid's not going to be deficient in vitamin A, but yeah, the, the first thing I go to is looking at that nutritional panel and seeing what's in there. And I, I, you know, most babies at this point are non-GMO. They're most of them are organic. And so that's almost kind of like that to me, it was almost table stakes for cerebelli. That's where we started off, but that was almost a given. And then it's, you know, where do you go from there? And I think where you go is the nutritional panel. Yeah, really the, the pouches should all be stacked backwards. So all you see is the nutrition. <laughs> of all the pretty pictures, you should see what's actually inside the pouch. <laughs> that's good to know. So you're looking for those 16 nutrients with double digits. Yeah. I flip the pouches. I flip every pouch before buying it. <laughs> that is so good to know because I usually am just reading ingredients, but that makes sense in baby food to actually look at the nutritional values. So thank you. 
Yeah. And I think, I think that's one thing that also got my goat a bit when I first started looking is that the ingredients and the, and the marketing can be very misleading. So I remember seeing once there was a kid snack and it was spinach snack. Right. And I turned it around and I looked at the amount of iron that was in it. And so I back calculated what that meant. And it was something like, it was like a couple calories of spinach were in it. So it was pretty much, it was just enough to make it look green, but it had no actual, actual spinach. So I think it's important to almost ignore what the pictures are telling you. And then just look at the nutritional panel. Cause that's the thing that, you know, they, they can't, there's no spin to that. You can't market the nutritional panel. It really is just showing you what's inside this pouch. Such good advice because the marketing is tricky out there, especially in baby food. Okay, so talking about baby food, there's like a lot of snacks out there these days. Are there nutrients we should avoid and maybe sugar? Does sugar affect the brain? Yeah, that's a really good question. So what you don't want to see is flipping over, looking at a label and seeing a lot of sugar and a lot of salt and then all zeros. <laughs> and unfortunately, it, it sounds ridiculous, but unfortunately, I really do challenge you and your listeners to go out and actually look at the back of these baby food pouches. And what you will see is a bunch of sugar, some salt, maybe vitamin A, and then all zeros. It, it, a lot of them have the same nutritional value as two teaspoons of, of sugar. If you had given your kid two teaspoons of sugar, the nutritional content would have been the same. And so um, wow. yeah, sh sugar in, 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 high levels is first of all, it's not, it's not a good way to start your child's palate beyond just the cognitive. So developing their tastes in their palate is also just the brain. All of this is brain <laughs> and, and the kid in the first, um, 18 months in particular is really working hard to develop that palate and decide, okay, what is my normal for food? Um, if all they're eating early on as their very first experiences of food is applesauce, which is what a lot of the baby pouches are, they're applesauce with a, a leaf of spinach or two, um, then what their brain is going to learn to, uh, to expect is sugar. It's empty sugar, and it becomes far more challenging to then switch them to a vegetable-dense diet. And so when I was making cerebelli, one of the great challenges, but something, again, I was just not willing to, to wiggle on was that all of our pouches are vegetable first. If we have a spinach pouch and it says it's first ingredient, the majority of the ingredient in there is, is spinach or the most common is. And so I think it, it's super important that your kid learns early on to appreciate a diversity of nutrient dense tastes rather than just empty sugar. It makes it a lot easier later when they become 18 months to, you know, to three years to then continue encouraging the, the vegetables over carbs. <laughs> I love that. So let me ask you then, talking to a brain surgeon, I'm curious to know what you think about feeding your kids certain foods first, if you should feed them, you know, the same food over and over for certain days, if you just do baby led weaning, what are your thoughts? You know, there's so much literature out there and, and I'll say that I am not an expert on that. <laughs> so, so the, the nutrition in the brain, I feel like I have a pretty strong footing on, but when it comes to baby led weaning or baby food, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I can tell you what I did was probably just a combination of everything. I, I tend to not be really strict in one camp or the other. And so, you know, I, I gave baby food when they wanted baby food. If they wanted to try eating stuff, I let them try eating stuff. I wasn't too dogmatic. It was less about how they were choosing to eat and more about what they were putting in their body. And so that's really been, been my focus. Oh, I love how you said that. That's what we need to focus <laughs> on because there's so much controversy out there about how they get the food in their body when really we should be talking about what they're getting in their body. Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> that was my focus at least. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you said that perfectly. I love that. Okay. Going back to sugar, does sugar 
actually affect the brain and the development of these cells? That's a really complicated question because there's so many immediate impacts of sugar in terms of concentration and stuff like that. Um, so it's something that you won't be surprised to hear has been studied pretty profoundly. But a lot of the studies when I looked in it looked at extreme cases. So kids in general are pretty good at keeping sugar levels in their blood in a very tight range. And then you can make fat or you can do other things with the leftover sugar. Um, where that's not the case is kids with, with diabetes. And so if you look at a lot of the sugar and its impact on brain development, it was looking at kids with poorly controlled diabetes and what have you, who had huge swings in sugar levels. And, and yeah, they, they showed with, you know, when you have these extreme swings in, in, in sugar levels, there was pretty clear effect on specific areas of the brain, areas important for memory and um, sort of higher level cognition and self-control and stuff like that. The effect of sugar on a, a child who's just has a normal metabolism, that that is, it's a much more complicated question. There's a lot of different facts that come when you read the literature uh, too deeply. I think it's unambiguous that, you know, too much sugar and the fact that there's so much sugar in the North American diet right now, just in, like it's, if you look at the amount of sugar people had, let's say 200 years ago versus how much they're having now, we're getting in, you know, weeks to a month, but they usually get in a year. It, it's really crazy. It's a huge difference. And so the effect of, of obesity and stuff like that, and, and all of these things impact early brain development in, in different ways. So it, it's a complicated question um, that has clear answers in the extreme, but becomes a little bit more difficult to tease apart when you're looking at the day-to-day. -day. Well, we know that sugar definitely affects the whole body, whether that's just the brain or not. I mean, we know it affects the whole body. And like you said, we're getting too much sugar. And what's so sad is in some of these toddler snacks, the sugar content is outrageous in them. And I don't know if parents are paying attention to that. And that's something we need to educate on is, wow, check the sugar content also when you're looking at those nutritional values. I completely agree. And I almost feel like sometimes it feels like, I mean, when you're a new parent, especially a first time parent, you're so overwhelmed, you're so busy. Food is one of many things that you're trying to figure out. And it's so tempting to just take the thing the kid's going to eat without a complaint, which is usually the empty sugary thing. And I kind of feel like, like people have fed off that, fed off the convenience and just, you know, it's easier. You can sell more of your product if it's just an empty sugar thing because kids are going to want to eat it more. And an overwhelmed parents just going to want to give a kid whatever they're going to, whatever they're going to take. And so I almost feel like we've a little bit taken advantage of the overwhelming state of being a parent of a, of a young child. <laughs> and, and we've sort of given them solutions that, that none of us would want if we really thought if we had the time to think things through. And so it's another thing that, that we're really trying to, to focus on in Cerebelli. You know, we started off with the purees, we moved to the smart bars, specifically looking at that, trying to provide a snack for a kid that's not too high in sugar, that's vegetable dense, that has that nutritional content. And I think as we continue to grow, one of our major focuses going forward will be continuing to find better snacks that are convenient for parents that the kids like, but that don't provide that huge amount of sugar and do provide the nutrients that they need. So I think it's, it's a huge unmet need right now. That is very much needed in the market. I can tell you that because I was babysitting my little niece and trying to find good foods was really hard. There's a few brands I could trust and that seemed like that was it. So yeah, exactly. I'm so grateful for companies like yours trying to provide moms these better choice foods. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so talking about these overwhelmed moms, what tips would you give a new mom when trying to look for the best foods to help her child's brain develop the best? 
Yeah, I think it's important, first of all, that moms, they're not too hard on themselves. I think it's very easy to get very overwhelmed. And there's, again, the environment and nutrition are both important for the child's early brain development. And having a mother who is, you know, happy to be around them and engaged and not overwhelmed by trying to be perfect at everything. But there, there's a benefit to that as well. Right. So, so first thing is, you know, breathe, <laughs> you're, you're doing a good job. The fact that you care and you're even listening to your podcast means that you already, it already shows that you're, you care a lot. You're trying to get educated. You're trying to find good advice from the right people. So you're doing a good job is always my first, my first advice. After that, I would say, try to introduce vegetables first in general, different types of vegetables and keep working on the vegetables. So, so my kids actually had very few fruit until they had really learned to like vegetables because fruit do in general have higher sugar content, what have you. Um, so if you give vegetables, you know, in general, they're not getting a lot of sugar from a vegetable. They're getting a lot of nutrition. They're learning to like that type of food. And um, at least in, in my case, I found that really driving that home early on, trying again and again, a lot of studies show it takes about 10 times for a kid to really accept a food. Just keep trying. If they reject it, keep trying, keep trying. Um, and when you get past that really hard part in the beginning, then as they grow older, it becomes a lot easier for them to have a balanced meal and for them not to fight you at dinner time. So I think that that would be my advice. <laughs> I can testify to that having older kids. So my oldest, I didn't know much about health and I'm sure he got fruit first and he's just always been the hardest one to feed. My eight-year-old, I knew all this stuff. And so she got a ton of vegetables first. And I don't think we did fruits for a long time. It was just vegetables, yeah. vegetables, vegetables. And now she's such a great eater. She'll eat yeah. anything <laughs> at dinner and anything that we yeah. try or, you know, so I can testify that that works with yeah. as and, the and kids get a, older. And from a brain development perspective, it absolutely makes sense. Again, because you are growing that part of the brain. So it's food preference, even taste. Your child, what your child is eating tastes different to them at six months than it does at 18 months because taste is another part of the brain, right? as they're forming this part of the brain from which they'll make all their connections the rest of their life, you have given the same stimulation over and over, which is healthy vegetable, healthy vegetable. And so that becomes their status quo from which they're going to build everything else. And so it actually makes a lot of sense. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Thank you for explaining all of this about the brain and the food and things like that. Can you just tell my listeners a little bit more about cerebelli? I know you've touched upon a few things, but maybe just a few things you haven't said about cerebelli yet. Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm really proud of the product that our team has put together. And I, I just want to make sure it, I, I was the sort of the brains behind the science and the nutritional requirements, but I worked very closely with a couple amazing nutritionists at Stanford who helped put on the layers of, you know, nutrition in general, introducing herbs and spices early on at the right stage and things like that. So it's a baby food where you've really thought of everything from the brain nutrition, which was the inspiration to it, to just the normal, ideal nutritional requirements of a child the heavy metal, like sort of everything we've thought about. And we've tried to put together a product that addresses them all. And I think we've done an exceptional job at that. So it's a shelf stable baby food. It can be found at Target, at Kroger's, at Whole Foods, you know, most places, actually, if you go, you, you can find us there. And yeah, I, I hope we've done a, we've, we've built the, the company off the ideal, the idea of accessibility. So we've worked really hard to keep it at a price point that parents are familiar with for an organic baby food pouch. Um, we, we stayed away from the $5 pouches that you're seeing in, in, from other companies. Um, but, but yeah, I hope, I hope you guys enjoy it. And I, I really hope that your kids benefit from all the, the science that went into making it. <laughs> I really wish there was a company like yours when my kids were little, it would have been so nice to just be like, Oh, I'm just going to grab these cerebelli foods and pouches. Cause I know I can trust them. How amazing yeah, what, would that be? Exactly. What one less thing to worry about is, I mean, it's so convenient. It's to the point. And I love the fact that we, we screen for heavy metals. So I know 
if I get sweet potato from my pouch, it's, it's clean sweet potato. So I actually still, even for my oldest child, I still bake muffins with them. So I find ways of incorporating it, still putting it into pasta sauces, because it's just such a, a clean way of, of getting the nutrients that they need. <laughs> so if a mom is like, oh, I can't even worry about all 16 nutrients. Is there one or two they should really look for or not necessarily? It's the whole package. Uh, so what I would do is, yeah, I would go to the Cerebelli website and see what age they are. And then we'll tell you not only what's important for that stage, but also um, I'll, I'll have to double check with the team. But I, I'm hoping that at least soon, if we don't have it already, we'll have a layer in of, you know, what's important. But also what are you likely to be deficient in given, you know, sort of national records for, for early childhood nutrition? Oh, that's fascinating. That, <laughs> that's amazing. So is there anything that we haven't touched upon that you would like to tell my listeners about brain development or about cerebelli? No, I think, I think again, just, just driving home the idea that you have this amazing critical window that happens early on in life where you really get to, where, where every piece of effort you put into supporting that early brain development, you know, it pays off. It really does pay off. So the time and the effort and the stress that you're putting into making the right environment, to giving them the right food, now is the time to do it. Other things you can mess up and make up later on, but, but now is really the time where if you have that bandwidth, um, it really is worth the investment of time. Question for you. Do you think if we're not feeding our kids the right nutrients, that may be affecting like their sleep as little kids or their mood and tantrums as little kids? Does that all play a role? Yeah, I think I think mood mood patterns, self-regulation, all of these things, it's not only the brain, it's also the metabolism. So, you know, spikes of sugar going up and down. So there, there's many different reasons why nutrition affects overall mood and cognition beyond uh, just, just brain development. But, you know, to be honest, the, the nutritionist probably can give you more evidence-based uh, answers than I could about the non-brain components. <laughs> okay. And then one last question about the brain development, because you said it's like from zero to five, that doesn't give parents at age six, seven, eight, nine, like the freedom to just then feed whatever and not worry about nutrients. Correct. <laughs> A hundred percent agree. Yeah. I mean, if any, I think we're all very aware of the concussion data that's come out that repeat concussions, even if you're quite a bit older are bad for the brain. So there, there's no doubt that brain health is important for your entire life, whether it's giving the right nutrients or avoiding the, the wrong things like head injuries or bad infections and stuff like that. Brain health is, is always important. Um, the first three to five years are especially important because there's, you know, it's, it's a unique window but it never becomes unimportant. <laughs> it's, you know, right up to old age, as, as I'm sure, all, you know, many, many, many of our, our elderly relatives would agree, brain, brain health never becomes um, unimportant. And learning and memory is something that you get to enjoy your entire life. <laughs> At least for me, I think my brain has been my, my greatest source of, you know, excitement and interest and, and, and happiness and fulfillment. So I'm, I'm glad that it's, it's working the way it is. <laughs> right. So let me just make this clear then. Because you said earlier on in the show that the nutrients um, from zero to five, they're creating these cells and the nutrients are helping create those cells. After five, when we're just making the connections, nutrients still play a role in the connections, correct? A hundred percent. The health of the connections, the health of the lining around the neurons that that regenerates. So the health of, of the brain as a whole absolutely needs ongoing nutritional support. That never stops. 
One thing that becomes a little bit different is that in, in those first five years, you're really requiring specific nutrients and specific windows. By around five, your nutritional requirements become a little bit more the same. So it's not like month to month, you need different nutrients. It becomes an overall brain health. Um, it's more of a continuous need for you know the same set of nutrients. Okay. So then does Sarah Belly take those nutrients that are needed for each month and make different packets for different ages of a newborn baby toddler? Yeah, exactly. So, so both, if you go to the grocery store, um, you can find multi-packs, um, especially at, at Whole Foods. So the multi-packs have age windows stated on them for the ideal age window. Um, also on the website, uh, if there's single packs, wherever you shop on the website, if you just put in your kid's age and their milestones, we'll recommend which pouches make the most sense. And you can either just buy them off the website and get it shipped right to you, or you can just remember what those pouches are, get them at the grocery store. But I think the, the biggest thing that we try to do to make it more accessible is that we've now made it so that each pouch has all 16 nutrients. So there's never really a wrong choice. You're still pretty much covered no matter which ones you, you decide. If you want to be like me, just very type A, I want precisely the right pouch for the right month, then, then sure, there's ways that we can tell you which one it is. But um, the way that we've gone on to develop it, it's just, you know, pretty much every pouch is, is good right now. You have taken the worry out of buying baby food. I wish all <laughs> our baby food was like this. This is amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you are so busy being a neurosurgeon and helping with cerebelli. So Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I always ask my um, guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? For me, it's probably curiosity. I think curiosity have driven me to the most interesting projects, the most interesting career, the most unlikely side projects. But curiosity in myself, I think, has also created humility and, and curiosity in others, whether it's my kids or people who, who say something that I really just fundamentally, viscerally disagree with. Part of me thinks that's a terrible thing to say. And part of me thinks, I wonder why a good person would say it. And so I think that that curiosity, you know, the, the question behind why in every personal or academic interaction has really just created a very fulfilling and, and happy life. <laughs> I love that because curiosity, I think, is the root to great knowledge. Because if we don't yeah. have that curiosity, then we don't search and research and try to gain that new knowledge. And I know you've done so much research on the brain. And so thank you for that. And I love that you tied curiosity into just being an overall good person, full of humility and love and passion for others. So I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here on the show today. I know you said you can find Sarah Belly on your website. Target, Kroger, anywhere else that they should be looking for it? Uh, Whole Foods, Wegmans. It's, it's really, if you go to our website, you'll see the big list, but it's a huge list of, of suppliers. There's going to be somewhere close to you that has it. <laughs> that I do know. I've seen it in all the grocery stores I go to. So I love that it's so available for people to get. Thank you again for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.